Gaudete Sunday. Um, Gaudete means rejoice. That's what that word means. And so you better rejoice. How do you like that? No. Uh, that, is, that is a big point of what I want to talk about today. Is There's a lot of times where we think that joy is an act of will. Like, I am not happy right now. I want to be happy. I'm going to have joy. Dag nabbit. Right? And you kind of get this attitude of, I need to have joy. Or you talk to somebody and they're not very happy. And what do you tell them? You need to cheer up. You need to have joy. Like, they can just will themselves a bucket of joy. Um, So Mary is announced to. Gabriel proclaims to her, Mary, you are full of God's grace. God's grace has so filled you that you're going to become pregnant and give birth to the Son of God. That is how much grace you are being shown. The Holy Spirit is just going to be so present in your life that a baby is going to be born. And it's just miraculous. And so she heard that. Hmm. And she goes to visit her relative. Some translations say her cousin. Um, that's, that immediately makes us think, well, which one of their parents were brother and sister? But they weren't that specific. They weren't as specific as that. Um, it's a relative. And Elizabeth was a lot older than Mary was. And Mary was really young. And so you kind of almost have this kind of mother-daughter or that aunt that kind of fills in the place where your mom can't sort of relationship. Kind of like guys have that uncle that's their, their bro that's kind of the age of their dad, but they can't talk to their dad about stuff, but they can talk to their uncle about stuff. That kind of relationship. You can just picture that dynamic happening here. So immediately after Mary is told by Gabriel that she's going to have a child and he's going to be, he's going to sit on David's throne and that his throne will last forever. Gabriel also says, your relative Elizabeth is also pregnant. And so when Mary hears that, it's kind of like, what? Elizabeth is old. And Gabriel says, she's already six months pregnant. Well, there's another spot where when Elizabeth heard, you know, she said, it says that she stayed hidden for five months. So for the first five months of her pregnancy, Elizabeth stayed hidden and didn't let anybody know. You can imagine just in the dynamic, whatever culture you're in, there's all kinds of awkwardness with all of these pregnancies, right? Um, everybody's going to blurt out to Elizabeth, but you're so old! As, or they're going to have that awkward, is she pregnant? What, what, what's happening? Just lots of awkwardness with that. So she keeps herself hidden for five months, it says. The first five months of her pregnancy, she didn't go out. So she's only been coming out visibly for a month when Mary shows up. And Mary comes to visit her. And it was a, it was a multiple day travel from, from where she was to where Elizabeth was. She comes in. Elizabeth is so excited. 
she sees Mary. The child in her womb goes berserk and starts jumping and kicking. And she knows every, Elizabeth knows everything that the angel told her husband about this child that he's bringing about the coming of the Messiah. That Elijah, so they taught that Elijah the prophet had to come before the Messiah could come. And that shows up in numerous prophets say that. And so when Elizabeth gets pregnant, the angel says, your baby, to Zechariah and then to Elizabeth, right? Your baby is going to be like Elijah. He's going to come in the spirit of Elijah and make way for the Messiah. So Elijah is the greatest prophet ever. He is the mightiest. Oh, just like, wow. Rock star hero of all of Israel of all time. And you're going to have a baby like Elijah. Wow. Get excited. But then you've also got that wonder. Is this for real? I mean, I know Zechariah can't talk for nine months. I know this is miraculous. Is he really going to be like Elijah? And how, how is this going to work out? That my baby is going to prepare the way for the Messiah. That means the Messiah is about ready to be born. That means the end of the world is about to come. The end of, of sin ruling over us and, and separation from God because of our sins. How is that going to happen? So she's wondering that and puzzling over that and just being maternal and loving her little baby in her womb. And then Mary comes to visit. And Elizabeth doesn't know that Mary's pregnant. And when Mary comes in the door... This baby that has the spirit of Elijah moves around and starts to kick and starts to move like never before. And the, it says the Holy Spirit came upon Elizabeth. And in that moment, Elizabeth realizes Mary is going to have the Messiah. So imagine having this meditation for six months. The Messiah is coming. You know the Messiah is coming. Who? How? Where? And then your dearly loved little niece, sort of cousin, relative girl that you've loved so much comes in the door and your baby goes berserk and you realize God picked you. God picked you to have the Messiah. Oh my gosh. The Messiah really is coming. And Mary, you get to be a part of it. Have you seen these videos where um, somebody gets a fake lottery ticket? Have you ever done that to any of your family? So you can buy a fake lottery ticket and the fake lottery ticket wins. And it talks all about how much money it is and it's like $500,000 or $20 million dollars. And, um, and they scratch it off and it wins. And it's really fun to look up on YouTube. Just go to YouTube and look up fake lottery ticket winner. And you see these people and they get it. <gasps> and they are totally embarrassed themselves, you guys. 
They scream, they yell, they run around the house, they kiss their mother-in-laws on the lips. They just do berserk, loony things because they are so excited. You know, you've seen other people excited about other things, right? Mary, who's been traveling for a couple days, the angels just talked to her. She shows up. Elizabeth goes crazy. She shouts all these things that we read last week. And it's almost like now the Holy Spirit is here in the room. He has come upon Elizabeth and Elizabeth has prophesied. And now Mary, the Holy Spirit is there. And you get kind of cosmic when you start to talk about, is the Holy Spirit in Mary? No, Jesus is in Mary. Wow. So then what are the implications of that, right? So this is Mary all of a sudden is like getting confirmation that what she heard from this angel wasn't just some guy talking. It's real. And this is her response. This is in Luke uh, chapter 1, verse 46. This, this section is called the Magnificat because in Latin it starts with when she says, my soul magnifies the Lord. Magnificat, that's what that is. But, but this is all a prayer and a prophecy that Mary said at that moment when Elizabeth gets it and when Mary gets it and little John the Baptist, who isn't even born yet, already knows it. Yeah! And is like playing the drums on mom's rib cage kind of thing, right? Celebrating. Luke 1.46 My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Wow. That's what she says. And that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about that whole thing. She, she has been trained. She has grown up, um, probably a good Jewish girl, probably all of them. And the main topic of conversation while they walked around along the road, while they sat at the table, while they laid down in their beds, like Deuteronomy 6 says, talk about it. Talk about the law. Talk about God. When you walk along the road, when you sit at your table, when you lay in your beds, when you get up in the morning, talk about it all the time. And they didn't have movies to talk about. Um, they may have had books to talk about, but the books that they were talking about were related to the law. So it is just... They, they really get to talk this stuff up. And some of the stuff they might have talked about would have been prophecies from the prophets. Um, some of them 600 years old. Moses, 
or uh, David was a thousand years earlier. Moses was a, a thousand years before that. And so they hear about what it means for the Messiah to come. What does it mean? What's going to happen in the world when the Messiah comes? And Isaiah talked about it a whole lot. And I'm going to read a whole bunch of Isaiah today. Because the, the things that Isaiah said, he said to the, the Jewish people before and during their exile in Babylon. And so they are, they are suffering and they are in a foreign land. They aren't in Jerusalem. They are uh, being ruled over by evil people, by the Babylonians. And you guys, like, we have terrible stuff in our culture. It is nothing compared to how horrible it would have been to be a Jewish person living in Babylon. Um, it's like if every city was like Las Vegas, only worse. It's like if every city was like some really, really bad neighborhood in New York, only worse. It's just, just open evil, open, shameless. Uh, there, there's one part where Isaiah says that people have forgotten how to blush. Because, you know, you blush when you're embarrassed or when you see something, you're like, whoa. They had forgotten how because they had seen it so much. There had been so much open deliberate sin that people weren't even embarrassed by it anymore. That was the level it had gotten to. And so they're longing, God, save us from this. Uh, There's another, there's a commentator that talks about God rescuing the, the people of Israel from Babylon was almost a bigger deal than rescuing them from Egypt. Because in Egypt, they were slaves, and there was this very clear line between who were the Egyptians and who were the Israelites, or who were the Hebrews, right? But in Babylon, that line was getting mixed together. And all kinds of Jewish people were losing their Jewishness and just mixing in. And so when God brought them um, from Egypt into Israel... That was the whole book of Joshua, right? He was bringing these people, making them new and giving them new land. When God brought them out of Babylon, they were all mixed in and they were going back to the old land that they lost when they didn't obey the law. So it's, it's a really big deal for them to come out of Babylon back. And that's what they're longing for. And that's what the Messiah is going to do. It's going to, the Messiah is going to come and he is just going to make everything right everywhere. So that's why Isaiah is talking about they're longing for this. So Isaiah 35, Isaiah chapter 35. I'm reading this so that you think, okay, when somebody says the Messiah is coming, Mary, you are going to give birth to the Savior. This is what she's been told is going to happen when the Savior comes. <gasps> when the sa- you know, you're going to give birth to the Savior. What does that mean? Oh, remember what Isaiah said about the Savior? Isaiah 35. The wilderness and the dry land will be glad. The desert will rejoice and blossom like a crocus. So all the people in Babylon know, even if they lived every day of their lives in Jerusalem in this beautiful, lush, tropical, you know, 
I mean, not tropical, but, but well-watered, really agricultural, they would know what the desert was because they got dragged to Babylon through the desert. Terrible. If they didn't, if they were born in Babylon and they didn't know, you know, Babylon's beautiful, it's fertile, it's lush, they know the boundaries and they know if they ever want to make it back to Jerusalem, they have to go through the desert, which is terrible and deadly and dangerous and all that. But the wilderness and the dry land, even the desert is going to be glad. The desert will rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It'll blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The desert is going to be rejoicing with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it. The majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They'll see the glory of the Lord and the majesty of our God. Think about all the news stuff you see about Lebanon and Israel. And you just see this big, you know, even like Afghanistan where they're fighting and it's just desert and it's awful and it's rocky. Imagine all of that like Hoosier National Forest or like just a a beautiful flower, flower farm, right? (coughs) Say to those, this is Isaiah 35. Isaiah 35, 3, strengthen the weak hands, make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped. The lame man will leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute will sing for joy. Waters will break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The lame, oh, yes, I'm skipping over myself. The burning sand will become like a pool of water. Thirsty ground springs of water. The haunt of jackals where jackals lie down and the grass will become reeds and rushes. And a highway will be there and it will be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. Think about That's about safety. That's about a safe thing. Um, You know, even now, my kids, Isaac wants to go for a walk. And I'm like, okay, um, where are you going to walk to? When should I expect you back? And he walks out the door and I start my stopwatch. So that when I think, oh my gosh, where's Isaac? I haven't seen him. And I look and he's only been gone nine minutes. I chill out. I'm like, okay. It's all good. Imagine if you knew there are no evil people out there. How, how long would you go for a walk, right? Why would you come home? There's no evil people. You're totally safe. That's, that's the emphasis of that. Um, it shall belong to those who walk on the way. Even if they're fools, they shall not go astray. Glory. There's hope for all of us. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come upon it. They shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. So the Messiah is going to come. And, you know, uh, there's a song, there's no tears in heaven. 
There's no sorrow or sighing. So there's no sighing of, I'm sad. There's no sighing of, that was really scary and we made it through it and now we're okay. There's no sighing. So think about that. You're ruled by Romans. You're taxed to death. Everybody's poor. Life is hard. And someday the Messiah is going to come and even the desert will be like a swimming pool. And even barren ground is going to be like a lush garden that I don't have to weed. Wow. All of that. But wait, there's more. The blind will see, the mute shall sing, the lame will jump like a deer. That's everything the Messiah is going to bring. And so think that through. Mary, humble, beat down in an oppressed people group that the, the, the ruling people group is not her race and, and she is racially looked down upon. Um, because she is a woman, she's regarded as powerless and she has no voice even in a courtroom. If, if you, if, um, you know, if Jim comes up and assaults me and there's 30 women to all see it and I go to court and I say, I have 30 witnesses, the judge would say none of their voices count in a courtroom. That's how disregarded she was at this time. All women were disregarded that much. And here the Messiah is coming. And not just the Messiah is coming, she is taking part in it. When the Messiah comes, the Messiah, she doesn't know this, but she kind of knows this, but she doesn't know it specifically. But it's been told The first day Jesus gets to teach. How would you like to be there, right? When I worked at the rescue mission, it was a great training ground for wannabe preachers and guys that wanted to preach and wanted to speak in front of groups but had never done it before. And I would encourage those guys, you need to come to the mission and you need to preach and you can't fail. Just talk about Jesus. And so Imagine Jesus' first day preaching and he goes to the temple and they get the scroll and you weren't allowed to touch the scroll because it was so holy that you would touch it with a little wooden stick to follow along and they would have specific readings for every day and the day that Jesus shows up is the certain day and the reading for the day is Isaiah 61. And they're like, Jesus, would you like to read today? And he's like, yes, I would like to read and teach today. And he gets up there and they, you would have, uh, so it's a scroll. I mean, it's a big, heavy thing. And, and they bring it out of a box and everybody's like, yeah. And they're all rejoicing when the scroll comes. And, and so you, it has all of your attention. And they sit it down and they, you know, turn the one side and turn the other side very carefully and only certain people can touch it and they get to this one spot that's the spot for the day and they're like okay read it and so Jesus comes up and he reads Isaiah 61 
This is Isaiah writing about what is true about the Messiah 600 years before the Messiah shows up. So this is get ready for the Messiah. This is what the Messiah says. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted and to proclaim liberty to all those who are captive. And the opening of the prison to those that are bound. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. To comfort all who mourn. To grant to those who mourn in Zion to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes. The oil of gladness instead of mourning. The garment of praise instead of a faint spirit. That they may be called oaks of righteousness. The planting of the Lord. That the Lord would be glorified. They will build up the ancient ruins and they shall raise up the former devastations. They will repair the ruined cities and the devastations of many generations. Strangers will come and tend to their flocks. Foreigners shall be your plowmen and your vine dressers, but you shall be called the priests of the Lord. They shall speak of you like the ministers of our God. You will eat the wealth of nations, and in your glory, in their glory, you will boast. It goes on and on. It's really good, and it's worth reading the whole thing. Jesus reads that, and he closes it up, and everybody's waiting to see what he has to say about it. And he says, as I have read this to you today, it has all come true. This is it. That's me. He didn't say that's me, but he said, as you hear me read this, it's all come true today. And half of the people would be like, who is this guy that can say that? And the other half said, I love every word he says. It's true. Did you hear about my cousin? He was blind and now he can see. Did you hear about this wedding we went to? And he turned all the water into wine. And they would say, it's true. It's true. It's true. The year of the Lord's favor, the day of vengeance of our God, comfort all who mourn. Um, headdresses, a beautiful headdress instead of ashes. There's a, a way to publicly show, you know, like, um, like a widow might dress in black and have the veil to show people that she's mourning. Well, they would put ashes on their head. And so you would see somebody and you'd be like, hey, Dana, ooh, uh, What's going on? Oh, my shower's broken. It's been broken for four days. I'm grieving and mourning. I have ashes on my head. No. It was a visible sign that they were mourning. And instead of that, they're going to have a beautiful headdress, a beautiful, you know, beautiful hairdo. Even, even those kinds of things. That's how much joy the Messiah brings. All right. So have you had enough? Can we go do more? The whole reason for all of this, that I want to say all this stuff, um, is that we do have this mentality that joy is an act of the will. And it's not. It really isn't. And if joy is the act of the will, then you kind of become bitter, just trying hard to be joyful. 
But what are things that you're joyful about? Think about things that make you joyful and make you really glad. And that doesn't have anything to do with your act of will, does it? It has to do with what you believe about that thing. I believe this about that thing, and that makes me really happy, and I get really joyful. In our house, through some um, huge mess of me buying coffee on sale from various places, we were stuck with the blackest, darkest, bitterest coffee you ever tasted in abundance. And Isaac and I are really the only coffee drinkers in the house, and sometimes David. And at one point, Isaac was like, what's the deal with this coffee? Can we get, can, like, can we not just buy, can we get rid of this? Can we give it away as a Christmas present? Something, it's so black, and it's so strong. I've been making it half power, and it's still strong. So we express this to Mommy. Oh, our coffee is horrible. What do you mean? You have all kinds of coffee. No, we just have two brands and they're both the blackest, deadliest killer. So yesterday she was at the store. She bought us normal coffee. Isaac, see, this is like when it was like five o'clock, 4.30, 4.30 in the afternoon. He sees that. Oh, I am so... I. I just want to go to bed so I can get up and have a cup of coffee. <laughs> he was so excited. Why did he have that joy? Did he say, well, mom bought coffee and we were complaining about it. And so I need to make the rational decision to be excited that she bought this coffee for us. And now I get to drink it. No. He was genuinely, deep down in his soul, excited that he did not have to drink like ashtray, black of night coffee, that it could actually be good. And he was happy about that. There's a lot of times where we don't have joy, and it's because of our circumstances. And we look at our circumstances, and we're mad or we are frustrated, or we are sad, or we are depressed. You know, there's all, all different range of these feelings. And we're looking, at, we're looking at that shower that's ripped apart and how long it's taken to repair the shower. We're looking at the state of the world. We're looking at these nations and these world leaders and the terrible things that we're doing. We're looking at our relatives and, and we might have relatives that are in a hard spot and making terrible choices and doing hard things and it makes us sad, right? It's super easy to forget the reality of everything I just read from Isaiah. That the reality is the Messiah has come and is here and is coming again and he is working this stuff in the world. He, he has the power and he is doing it to make the lame walk, to make the blind see. There's also stuff in this list that she didn't mention that we know the Lord is doing. He's reconciling people that hate each other, that have hurt each other, to give us the power of forgiveness that we would show love to one another again. 
The Lord is doing that. And so, so often, you know, this person died of, died of an overdose. This person, um, you know, kidnapped this kid. And those things are terrible. And those things leer at us like those are the big story. Not to downplay any of that, but all of that has been going on in one form or another ever since Adam and Eve got kicked out of the garden. And that, that hurt and that longing built up so that when the Messiah came, Mary was excited and she had joy. And so what would happen if every time we were hit with some horrible reality, ah, this is terrible. That's a terrible thing. Lay right on top of that the other reality that's almost more real, that's been more real for a longer amount of time and will be real for a longer amount of time. Uh, so in my, I'm in a Bible study, and um, so we can't talk about politics. We don't bring up any politic things. And whenever we bring up politics, this one guy, he has a red handkerchief. And he says, red flag, red flag, red flag. Either, either side, whatever side of politics we're on. And, uh, and it was so funny. We were talking, and we said, you know, Whatever is going on, the thing about America, where we, we change presidents every eight years, is whatever problem you're in, you know within eight years it's going to be a different problem. And it's just going to change. So you live in that. Whether you're happy or sad now, in less than eight years you'll be happy or sad for different reasons. So do you stake your life on that? Because this thing that Isaiah prophesied 600 years before it happened then happened and the effects of Jesus coming lasted longer than eight years. Lasted longer than 16 years, right? They lasted longer than 200 years of the whole United States, right? These things have lasted and they will continue to last. Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Think of the impact of that. Like, you know, global warming, um, whatever, extinct animals. I mean, it's all a big deal. It's all going to pass away. I don't think we should hurry it. I don't think we should make it worse. But Jesus' words are never going to pass away. And so when we hear something that wants to take our joy away, because that really is the best victory the devil could have on a Christian person. If you are in Christ, you're a new creation, and the devil cannot take you from Christ's hand. You cannot be taken away. But boy, could the devil make you sad. And the boy could the devil take your joy. And God says, don't let your joy be taken. Rejoice. So, that's why I want to drive home how much joy we can have in what God has done. But guess what? We don't just have to have joy. The Lord has joy. So remember talking about all the people coming back from Babylon. 
They came back from Babylon. Ezra sets up the priesthood again. And he gets the temple going again. And Ezra's temple, they call it Ezra's temple, it's not as glorious as Solomon's temple. But man, it is God's temple where God meets with mankind, where the sacrifices can be made. Yes. Is the glory of God on it? Well, not like it used to be, but it's here. And then the people come back and Nehemiah brings the people together and they do the re- they get all the Levites together and they say, we're going to read through the law because y'all have been in Babylon and you forgot what the law was. That's why we went to Babylon in the first place. And they spend days reading through the whole law and then they take breaks and there'd be like a Levite in the middle of our crowd of, you know, a couple hundred people and the Levite would know the law. And then, so we'd hear Nehemiah or Ezra read it, and then we'd have a break, and we'd all go to that Levite, and we'd say, hey, explain this part to me. And that Levite would explain it all to us. They get all the way through that. How amazing would that be? And they're grieving, and they're like, we have broken the law so bad. We are so evil. Why does God even care about us? And Nehemiah says, you guys... This is the first time y'all have heard the law in over 70 years. 70 years ago, you all went into exile because you disobeyed the law. You weren't hearing it then. And now you are sincerely loving God and loving his law. He says, go home. This is Nehemiah 8.10. Go back to your homes. Eat the fat and drink sweet wine. What? Yes. Go eat fat, drink wine, send portions to anybody that has nothing, for today is holy to our God. And do not be sad, because the joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord. The Lord's joy is what strengthens you. The Lord's joy is what will make you able to follow His law. God's love for you will save you. Think that through for a minute. Bad news comes. Boom. Okay, this is terrible. And I I am broken over this. But God's joy will sustain me. Now, is God happy that that thing happened? No, he is not. The the whole idea that God let it happen, um, he lets all kinds of things happen because if he punished sin instantly, we would all be vaporized. So he shows all kinds of mercy all the time, allowing people to do the things that they do and allowing them to reap the repercussions of that doesn't mean he doesn't love us. This morning, David's down there burning pancakes. And I wanted to go down there and tell him just how to do it just the right way. And I was like, you know what? He's going to learn a thousand times more from the taste of that burnt pancake than anything I can tell him. So I allowed David to burn his pancakes. Do I not love him? I love him a ton. Was he going to listen to me anyway when I told him how to cook the pancakes? No. 
Did he learn a whole lot about pancakes? Yes. Was the second batch of pancakes delicious? Yes. Did I eat two of them? Yes. The Lord loves us so much. He has so much joy. And we can trust in that no matter what happens in the world. We can trust in His joy. Why? Because Jesus said the Spirit of the Lord is on Him to proclaim good news. Wow. Why? Because the wilderness and the dry land are going to be glad. Jesus changes stuff so much that He can change a desert into a city pool. Think that through. Wow. He brings such change. So, with all of that, the Apostle Paul is writing to uh, the Philippians. And the Philippians are having a hard time and a lot of rough things are happening to the Philippian church. This is Philippians 4.4. He says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I tell you, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. A lot of times we, we take those and we chop them up like fortune cookie fortunes. Rejoice in the Lord always. Well, I'm mad, but I just need to rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord always. Take that whole thing as a big old plate dinner. Because they all go together. When you rejoice in the Lord, when you rejoice in the Lord, He is bigger than anything that happens. He has been through everything. He is with me right now. He loves me so much and he cares about he loves that person and he cares about them he is right here showing mercy it says let your reasonableness be known to everyone if i immediately have a well that happened to you because you're a sinner that's not very reasonable right but i can't say that happened to you because you're a sinner if I've been rejoicing in God's mercy. Wow, God, you're amazing. The Lord is at hand. If I recognize the Lord is at hand, this situation is terrible. It makes me mad and it upsets me. I'm not saying we don't show emotions. I am upset right now at this thing that happened. But I know the Lord is at hand. I know the Lord is not absent from this situation. He is right here. I don't know what he's doing, but he's right here. Suddenly, am I going to be anxious? Am I going to be anxious about this situation if I know the Lord is at hand? Now I can say, I'm not going to be anxious, just like I'm going to have joy. I'm not going to make it very far, right? But if I really know, sincerely know, that the Lord is working in this, I'm going to be watching for it. I heard a guy talk one time. He's like, I never pray with my eyes closed. Because while I'm praying, God is going to do something and I want to see it happen. 
thought, wow, what a statement of faith, right? That he is so expecting God to answer his prayer right there at that moment that he doesn't pray with his eyes closed because he wants to see it. The Lord is at hand. Don't be anxious. In everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. How can I be thankful in everything if I need God's help? Well, if I know that God is doing something, that Jesus is at, what is, he is at hand, the Lord is at hand, I can immediately have something to be thankful for. This is not a forsaken situation. This is not hopeless. Sometimes I'll be talking to the kids and we'll be talking and I'll say, well, I guess it's just hopeless. No! And they'll tell me, no, it's not. I'll be like, okay, if it's not, why are we acting like it's hopeless? There is hope. There is some hope here. And when all of that happens, the peace of God that surpasses understanding. I can't teach this. I can't give you four steps. The peace of God surpasses all understanding. It guards your heart and it guards your mind. It guards your heart and your feelings. I want to feel this way right now. But if I see that Jesus is at hand, I know he is at work here. I know he is showing mercy. I know that he has love. Suddenly my heart is guarded. When I think a thought in my head, oh, they must not like me. Oh, they hate me. Oh, I'm a bad person. Oh, I'm not good enough. I'm not loved. My mind is guarded from those thoughts. The thoughts come in, and I'm like, you know what? That's not true. That's a lie. Bye. Bye-bye. That I, my mind is guarded from those thoughts because I am rejoicing in the Lord. I'm being reasonable, right? All of that happens. So, all of that to say, we have a lot to rejoice in. We have a ton to rejoice in. Even, even Joseph in prison had a lot to rejoice in. The, um, the, the Jewish exiles in Babylon that weren't allowed to eat and couldn't see Jerusalem, they had things to rejoice in. The hope of the Savior. Well, even better, now the Savior has come and He has put His Holy Spirit into you so that as you walk, He is with you. He is with you in even more of a cosmic way than he was with Mary when he was in her organs there. Christ is even more in you by his Spirit. And so this week, look it up. It's in Luke, Luke chapter 146. The response of Mary when she realizes that the Savior of the world is living in her and is coming. She says, my soul magnifies the Lord. The last thing about joy. So often we want the Lord to make us joyful, give us joy. I want to have joy, right? She doesn't say the Lord magnifies my soul. She says, my soul magnifies the Lord. What is she doing? She's rejoicing in the Lord. She's not 
It's not for her benefit that she's rejoicing. It's for the Lord. It's the Lord's joy that she's rejoicing in. And it's that whole thing of Philippians 4.4. She's rejoicing in the Lord. And so he is bringing about all of this in her. And he is guarding her mind and he's guarding her soul. So, all right, let's pray. Lord, we want to rejoice in you. We want to magnify you. And we want to focus on you. Lord, there are so many things that steal our joy. There is um, stuff that we don't know about that's going to happen in our, in our future that will try to steal our joy. And Lord, I pray that you would fortify us, that you would strengthen us, that it wouldn't be an act of will, but it would be an act of love and an act of, of desire and just pure joy that we would rejoice in you and that we would seek you and be guarded, that our hearts and our minds would be guarded in you, Lord. Thank you so much, Jesus. Amen.